Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hello, everyone. This is Amina Rasul of She Talks Peace and the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. Thank you, everyone, for listening to to our podcast. And uh, I'm quite excited because our production assistant just just told us that a couple of her friends told her that they should listen to our podcast, not knowing that she's our production assistant. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, so thank you so much, dear listeners. Now, my lovely co-host. Hi, everyone. Uh, hello, Amina. It's good to catch up again. Uh, I'm Dina from Malaysia and Iman Research Malaysia. And over here, everyone's gearing up for the holidays. I'm going for a holiday tomorrow, one about two, three days. Uh, Malaysians take their holidays seriously. And I think after COVID, right now that the lockdown has lifted up, People are just, you know, flying here and there. How is it in Manila? I mean, are you all gearing up for elections or Christmas? Well, people are gearing up for the elections. Nothing happens in the Philippines when it's uh, mid-December to January 6th. That's uh, holiday season. But since uh, we're under the pandemic and People's movements are still restricted, plus incomes are are low. Uh, people aren't going uh, out, uh, you know, as much. But Dina, I wish I could go with you to Langkawi. Yeah, never mind. That'll be next year. We'll try I to do that so. plan in Langkawi. It'll be fun, yeah? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, when I went to Langkawi, um, I had this weird idea. I was in Japan with some co-alumni. Uh, we, we used to be youth ambassadors on this uh, program the Japanese put up called The Ship for Southeast Asian Youth. And when we were in Tokyo for a meeting, some of the alumni of ASEAP, that's what we called it, um, was a member of parliament. And I said, you know, I have this, they have this idea because at the time I was organizing the young political people for President Ramos for our party. I said, why don't we bring together young leaders 
who are alumni of our program. And let's talk about what's going to happen to Southeast Asia and East Asia. And they said, uh-huh. hey, that's a wonderful idea. And then, you know what they did? They made it official. So they communicated with your government. And uh-huh. young, young Amno became the host. Oh. And we all went, all these young political leaders went to KL. And in one of the coffee you know, sessions, we were outside talking to some of the young UMNO leaders. And one of them said, hey, have you guys ever been to Langkawi? And I said, uh, where's that? And he said, okay, tomorrow we go. And we went. Wow. Oh, yeah. We went to Langkawi. They were still trying to build it up. Oh, but Dina, it's so gorgeous. I wish I was going with you. Okay, no, next time, okay? We'll make sure there's a program that ends us up. If it's not in Penang, it'll be in Langkawi, yeah? Yeah, as long as there's no harassment, right? <laughs> no, no, no. It's quite late back there, so I think we'll be all right. No, you know, I mean, I'm just a bit curious, you know. Um, Of course, in Malaysia, just looking at LinkedIn and stuff, there's all kinds of stuff that's happening, you know. People, you know, talking about the organizations, harassment being reported. I mean, how has the Philippines handled this? Have you ever talked about diversity in organizations or in nonprofits? Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, the uh, women's organizations in the Philippines are really aggressive, very strong, very vocal. And they've been uh, lobbying for more uh, legislation on uh, Uh, gender-based violence, equal opportunities for women, equal rights, and uh, issues of harassment. So the Philippine government in 1995, our our, uh, Congress, uh, actually passed a law, the Anti-Sexual Harassment Act. And this was in 1995. I think that was the last year my mom was uh, in the Senate. She was the chair of the Committee on Women. So we have... We have that and we have other laws that also include, uh, you know, the the rights of women in in the workplace. But, you know, Dina, even if you do have a law, it is a piece of paper if it is not implemented uh, properly. So I don't know what it's what what, uh, it's like in uh, Malaysia. Do you have laws that uh, protect? women from harassment in the workplace or do you still have to lobby for such laws? We're still lobbying. I mean, you know, you've gained some traction and then you have to pull back, you know? Hmm. And uh, I have many friends, you know, feminist activists, lawyers, you know, I mean, just on sexual harassment and stuff. It has been passed, I believe, but, you know, if women who are married to foreign, you know, non-Malaysians, right, are still banging on wanting citizenship for their children, I don't know, but you know what? I mean, I think the best person to talk about this would be my old friend, Anima Kosai, who's a friend, sister, and she's also a trainer. So let me introduce Anima, yeah? Oh, so wonderful. Anima, yeah. Anima helps uh, leaders and organizations to co-create safe, inclusive, and vibrant work environments through a strong speak-up culture. Now, she speaks, she writes, she advises on workplace harassment, corporate or organizational wrongdoing, toxic work cultures, diversity, and inclusion. She's Malaysian-British. She's based in England, practiced law for nine years in Malaysia, 
before joining the oil and gas company uh, industry as a corporate counsel, you know, we should cover the region, yeah? Mm. Uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Brunei, Vietnam, Myanmar, India. Woohoo! So she's given a lot of talks and training in Kuala Lumpur, Bangkok, Singapore and London, as well as media interviews on topics ranging from corruption and the Me Too uh, new movement to global corporate scandals. And in just the past few months, she's actually spoken at several events, including the UN Women, Women's Empowerment Principles for wow. Women for Malaysia on gender equity. Uh, the Global Insurance Industries Diving Festival on being an ally and calling up harmful behavior and British and European clients all speaking up, you know. And I just felt that I wanted Anima to talk about this because, you know, when we all have chats among us peace builders in Southeast Asia, I mean, these are things that we all talk about and we don't know what to do, especially for the younger ones. That's true. So in giving back to the community, Anima has actually set up the Speak Up Collective and it's really vibrant, you know, it's a vibrant online global community of people speaking it out at work and leaders who listen. They've got about 500 members from all continents except Antarctica, with the biggest <laughs> from the UK, Malaysia, US, Australia, Canada, and South Africa. Oh, so, you know, with their Speak Up Champions, they host events, and yeah, they're on Clubhouse. They're really active on Clubhouse. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Anima is like the social media, you know, goddess, Clubhouse, LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm, like, oh, I'm exhausted already, but yeah, I've actually created a space where people speak up and say this is what's going on in my life whether I'm a man or woman I am being assaulted I am being bullied I am seeing things that shouldn't be happening in the company so you know I, I think yeah we I'm glad to have Anima online today yeah so so am I but with Dina I'm extremely disappointed in the introduction that uh, that you gave for Anima you know why mm-hmm. Because of all the countries in Southeast Asia where she, you said she went and gave a lecture to, you didn't mention the Philippines. Yes. And so I, I, had to, I had to find out, how come, how come Anima skipped the Philippines? Especially since, uh-huh. even though our women's networks are very active on women's rights, harassment happens in the workplace. So hi, Anima, and I hope you can come to Manila pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, uh, Amina. Hi, uh, Dina. I have never been to the Philippines. Oh. oh, so confession here. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, but if I get an invitation, you know, I would love to come and and meet you and others and, and talk about issues, whether we're talking about women harassment and toxic workplaces, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. But that's an awful way to bring you to the Philippines to come and talk about toxic <laughs> toxicity in the workplace and sexual harassment of women. Because as you very well know, we haven't had such a, a fun time uh, over the last um, few years. Toxicity and uh, misogyny has been a little bit a problem in, uh, in our country in, in the last uh, few years. But it's it's really great to to have you on board. And what I'd really well you know, love to find out is how did you really become so involved 
in uh, in in this advocacy from your corporate work, energy, law, and now speaking up. Well, that's a really that's a really good question. Um, Dina mentioned that I spent about fourteen years in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. So this was sort of in the early two thousands where when I started off there, and. In, in in the West, especially because I, I used to work for Slumberger, um, which is a fairly big oil and gas company. And, um, you know, the, like many multinationals, they were starting to talk about sexual harassment policies and rolling them out. So I was the in-house legal counsel covering Southeast Asia at the time and sort of was told, OK, you need to roll this out to your to 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 people in the office. And we were given this pack of PowerPoint slides. And then there was just one conversation with this lady in Dubai, like, okay, these are the things you cover. And I knew nothing at that time. <laughs> and this is this is not unusual for, for, for lawyers or compliance people in, in corporate yeah. roles like Here's here's the presentation from New York. There, give it to wherever you are, right? <laughs> um, um, so I did that, and it was like you know part of a town hall, and we had all these you know. So this was in Kuala Lumpur, and we had you know, all the the management and 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 employees and so all that listening to me talk about sexual harassment, all this bullet point presentation, and and then the men especially were looking at me, their jaws dropping. And later on, this Turkish guy, lovely guy, came to me. Oh no, Anima, does this mean? I can't pat you on the back anymore, you know, that that kind of thing. Oh. Said, you know, I'm fine with it, but maybe not all women are. Um, yeah. So so it, it became a sort of start of an inquiry because I think for many men, especially, they were like really puzzled as to what they could and couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And this is way before Me Too, right? Way before mm-hmm. Me Too. We were already doing this in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. But more, I think, on a multinational level. But, you know, it's interesting, Dina, you were talking about sexual harassment laws in Malaysia, and it was wonderful to hear what you said, I mean, about the Philippines doing this as far back as 1995, yep. I think you said. Yep. Which is great. Malaysia still hasn't even passed its its sexual harassment bill yet because there have been oh. just so many changes of government, right, <laughs> in the past few years while there's been a bill waiting to be tabled. Um, and, you know, we just sense there's no political will. Um, Maybe they don't think it's priority, Anima. What do you say, yeah. Dina? Is it priority? No. Huh? I mean, sexual harassment profits. <laughs> including women who, you know, want profit. But let's go back to Anima. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, so so in terms of the journey, I mean, a few years later, and I, I was with another company um, called Cherry Gully Hess, which is a half Petronas and half Hess, which is a, an American uh, oil company. Hmm. And uh, we by this stage, I decided I didn't like I didn't like PowerPoint presentation, you know, bullet PowerPoint presentations. Mm-hmm. I didn't like standing there and telling people do this, don't do this, because mm. you could just see. It, it wasn't it wasn't landing and I'm the sort of person Dina knows me I get very innovative about things like what do we do that get people to really understand this and we didn't talk about just sexual harassment because a lot of people and still do view that as a gender issue yes and I try and say actually it's 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 all genders it's not mm-hmm. just something that impacts women and um so we looked at harassment as a whole. We looked at toxic, you know, what was toxic in workplaces. We looked at bullying and other forms right. of harassment. So right. besides sexual harassment, you get racial harassment, you get um, harassment uh, based on, you know, a person's 
body size or or mm. disabilities and all kinds of things actually roll into that. And there's a lot more discussion in the world today. But when we so when we did this back in 2010, it was still fairly novel, definitely mm-hmm. from a Malaysian point of view. And um, so we were rolling out this policy, harassment-free workplace. And we set training um, and, you know, I, I, felt, I felt pretty hated because I told my management, you all have to come for a two-day training. It's mandatory. <laughs> yes. And these were for leaders, right? Yeah. Um, and we were rolling it out in small groups of about 20 people each time. And we yeah. had over 80 leaders uh, to cover before we rolled it out to everyone. So um, there was a, you know, there was the typical kind of resistance like, oh, God, why is she being difficult? Why does do I do we have to be there? But one of the things that very, very tragically happened uh, the week before we were to do that first training, and as we just rolled out the policy, is back out, out in the Gulf of Mexico, the, the BP uh, rig Deepwater Horizon blew up, um, 11 lives uh, um, lost. And um, for us in the oil and gas industry, it was a huge wake up call because we thought, you know, safety is big. We have safety. Everything's all about safety. And suddenly, you know, a company like BP that is very well regarded in the world had that. And it it was as if suddenly something clicked in, in the heads of my colleagues, especially those in in health, safety, environment and in drilling and others who were like, oh, people need to feel safe to speak up if they see danger. Right. um, If there's if there's a culture of bullying or any kind of harassment, you know, people are afraid to speak up if they see anything safe. So um, there was that connection made. And the next thing I knew, I had this huge support from my colleagues and especially very senior colleagues in getting this rolled out. And that's partly partly why it was so successful because my colleagues immediately made that connection. So sexual harassment got wrapped up in the broader sort of harassment um, framework. Um, And since then, I mean, it was one of the things I loved doing. Um, I mean, I had many other things that I did <laughs> at work, but our training was so popular. People would come back time and time again because they enjoyed it. There was lots of role plays. You could discuss, you could dis- discuss issues where you felt that you know you'd been bullied as a as a young employee or a young engineer. And we were male dominated, right? And this was still really, are. Oh, definitely. And I came from the legal profession. While mm. there are of course, definitely quite a fair number of women lawyers. It's still very much the culture is very masculine mm-hmm. and it's still very male dominated. Um, so so it was really interesting because we created in our training sort of safe spaces where people could open up and talk about times that they had been harassed in, in whatever way. And for men, especially two things we saw happening one is that suddenly they had a space that they could open up and talk about when they were bullied, you know, as, as young, young people in the workforce and be heard and understood. And the other thing is that they were hearing stories from women for the first time. So while, you know, in 2017, the whole world heard about Me Too, in my company at that time, it was happening since 2010. Men were opening up, you know, male colleagues were opening up to their, you know, they were listening to their female colleague stories. And then they go back and they tell their wives, their daughters, you know, their sisters and were shocked 
mm. when their female family member said, yes, that's it very happened. real. It happened to they them. didn't believe it. They never saw yeah. it, right? So yeah. until they started hearing, yeah. Yeah, let me, let me just um, uh, look at the, at the other aspects of, um, you know, the cases that, that uh, Speak Up uh, works on. Because in the Philippines, uh, so we do have the anti-sexual harassment law. We have other measures in place. Uh, it still happens. But the problem really is, uh, even though the law is there to protect, and uh, we've got uh, women's uh, desk offices in the police stations, we have um, uh, police women who are trained to handle uh, cases that are uh, of women that are brought to the police station. The problem, which I think you would speak up as working on, is how do you get first women to come up to speak up? Second, how do you help organize the safe space within the workspace, whether it is government or uh, or corporate or corporate world? Well, first of all, there has to be that culture because you're absolutely right. Even with laws, even with many companies that have very clear policies and even do sort of training um, on sexual harassment and other forms of harassment, um, women especially um, are afraid to speak up uh, because they don't, because first of all, they feel they won't be believed, they won't be supported. They will be blamed. I mean, since I started a few years ago, since I started talking and writing about sexual harassment, I have so many people, mainly women from all across the world, and especially in the UK where I am right now, share their stories with me. And there was always a pattern. Um, some of those who did try reporting, they, they weren't being supported by their HR. In fact, they were being blamed. Oh, you did this. Oh, you didn't say no. Or you led him on, you know, all kinds of things. So that just creates further trauma. And, you know, women do talk among themselves and they see that and, and say, like, you know, um, I don't want to revisit this trauma. And in fact, for many, um, so people who have it's traumatizing enough when the incident or incidents happen. But when you go to report it with the expectation that your employer will back you and they don't, that's a sense of betrayal. And it's actually called, there's a term called institutional betrayal. And um, this causes even further trauma. And the women I've spoken to, that's when they broke down. That's when they had feelings of suicide. That's when they, they you know, uh, plummeted into depression, um, developed severe anxiety. It's because they weren't being supported. So, so what needs to happen is that the culture and really starting at the top in terms of leadership, that needs to change. Well, that's going to be a, a, big, uh, a big problem uh, because many, many, I mean, look at the United States, right? They had Trump. I mean, come on. They, they elected him as president, even, even though it was so blatant, the things he was saying that, and claimed to have, have done. So, so how do you get? All of this, especially young women. I mean, I'm a senior citizen, so I guess I'm safe from sexual harassment. But, no, uh, you're not. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's but I'm talking about 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 young women. How do you how do you get them to be courageous enough to actually speak up and and band together? 
actually young women are courageous. I mean, it's not just women. Women are courageous. And I think we have to give them that. The problem isn't so much in the in women or other people speaking up. The problem is on the receiving end, the listening, the supporting. Mm. So really, when I talk, so when I I go into organizations and I talk to leaders because they come to me and they say, oh, we're really interested in doing a speak up program. The first thing I talk to them is, what are their leaders like? And I want to know their demographics. And I want to know many, of many, especially in the West, many of them have already done surveys in terms of speaking up and that sort of thing. And they come to me because people may hesitate to speak up. And a lot of these organizations have, you know, great policies and, you know, what you yeah. see in the press. We believe in diversity. We are listening. But the, the problem often happens is at the top, there, there isn't that will or the understanding. Um, and it's also, you know, I could talk to, to you for days in terms of how leaders themselves need to change and what they need to go through. Um, but one of the things, uh, you know, I, I say it's actually fairly simple. Leaders just need to shut up and listen. <laughs> it's that simple. Listen, be open and believe. And uh, one of the things um, we find leaders or the old fashioned style of leaders um, tends to be that leaders know everything. Yeah. And so um, they see themselves as the authority and so on. So when someone else, whether there's someone younger tells them something, they find it hard. It's almost like an ego block, right? Like who are you 20 years younger than me telling me something? You think I don't know this. So this kind of blocks them from really truly listening and when leaders take this kind of stance it's actually very it's like talking it's yelling at a brick wall Mm. so is there any wonder you know you can I you know I can I've given talks to young women about speaking up and how to do it but it's harmful for them to do that if they're barking at this brick wall who worse shoots back right you know right and retaliation is very very real Dina, especially in Malaysia, because you have no law to to protect you, <laughs> not, not unlike uh, we do here, where where uh, I think uh, edu- education is also is also mandated. So you have to have sexual harassment uh, classes. We have to. I mean, I think the good thing is that as Anima said, the young are speaking up. Now earlier on this year, we had a young girl who I knew who's Nisa, I think who spoke about sexual harassment in schools, you know. Mm. Well, she had a yeah. lot of support. The pushback by educators, not all teachers, right? right? So now the teacher that's been, you know, named, right, has sued the family for one million ringgit. Whoa. The family that's in we're going to count to sue you. Mm. But the fact is, while there's a lot of pushback, people are saying enough is enough. We want our schools to be safe. It's not just young girls. It's also for young boys. The fact is that I think a lot of adults, yeah, cannot accept the idea that a young kid is calling out on them, you know. Mm. Then it's like, okay, this is our culture. If I make this joke, it means I kind of favor you a bit. You're the chosen one. And it's difficult, uh, you know, Amina, to actually say what you're doing is very harmful. It's also with adult women, you know, when you hear stories, um, horrifying stories and Management actually telling them that I don't know why what the problem is because it shows that you're attractive and trying to talk to lawmakers, parliamentarians <laughs> about this. 
Why you? But you know, uh, Anima, right? As we listen to all this, you know, you, you touched, uh, you know, you, you said about how corporates are actually, you know, there's a lot of good things about corporations, right? Now, how can we actually apply this to peace building? Mm. So, well, one of the things I, what I really want to talk today is really the sense of, you know, the, that in the scheme of the power dynamics, where is the power base sitting? And you've mentioned women, you've mentioned young people. Um, you know, so these are two uh, demographics that are huge if you look at it on a population mm-hmm. base, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's in the Philippines, Malaysia, globally, right? Every country, um, the um, if, if the, the younger, anyone, you know, Oh, under 35, you're going to get more than 50% of the population are under the age of 35. Right. Most right, likely, right? right. Um, and, um, but the thing is that they're not in the positions of power because right. you usually have to, to climb the ladder and all that. But the way, so one of the things I've noticed, the, in the, especially in the past year, because what's happened in the past year, um, last year we had um, Black Lives Matter really catapult into um, action after the, the death of uh, George Floyd in the U.S., right? So we've been having a lot of conversations about race in the U.S. And then, of course, a few years ago, it was Me Too. And what, what we're seeing is that, um, like you mentioned, Dina, this, this, this young girl in, 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 in a Malaysian school was sexually harassed, and the public are saying enough. So what's happening is we're seeing this groundswell in every country of the public saying, we don't like this. We don't like that. We don't like that. And they're telling organizations, whether these are government agencies or whether these are corporates, right? We don't like this. We don't like that. And and then yet, if you look at the organizations, they're kind of slow to respond and mm-hmm. make those changes. Although they say, yes, we believe in, you know, gender equity and we will right, protect right. women and, and so on. That You're not seeing that. So one of the reasons, so I, I kind of looked at it and as I started asking organizations, so I, I looked at, you know, whoever you saw in the news, you know, you saw a company being shamed in the news. And then I go and look at the board of directors and, and, and upper management and they go, hmm, as suspected, there was just one group mm. that was dominating everything. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And let's name it. It's 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 the older, white, straight, able-bodied, neurotypical men. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially in the West, right? And of course, in each country, there will be some dominant group. It's always men, but it may be different races depending where you are, right? But in the West, it's it's definitely white. So I started sort of looking at this. And one of the things I, I noticed, so I look, I'm in the UK. So I looked at, oh, I'm I'm curious because um, last week I gave a talk on allyship as far as LGBTQ plus. Involved. So I was curious to see oh, how many LGBT people do we have in the country and how is that mirrored with the organization? Um, and what, the answer actually is about 3% in the UK, which I think is low. This was an mm-hmm. older census. In the US, it's 5.8. In Japan, they say 10% of the population are LGBTQ. And I thought, well, that's 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 really interesting. And then I looked at the other, the other categories. So we look at women. In fact, probably across the board, women are slightly over 50% in most countries. It's 51% um, in the UK. And then I looked at 
Oh, let's look at race, right? Um, so people who are not white, um, what does that dynamic look like? And in the um, UK, um, Black, Asian and other ethnic groups, uh, 13% in the US, um, including the indig- indigenous people, um, that actually is, is 20, sorry. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm trying to remember now. I think it's over 30%. Uh, I think it's about 36%. So that's really big in the U.S. But you're not seeing that in senior positions, right? Um, And then I also looked um, in terms of disabilities. And this one really interested me. Um, In the UK, 19% of the working age uh, adults are, are disabled. Mm-hmm. In the US, it's even higher. Um, it's about 26%. And then I looked at neurodiversity. So, you know, people have ADHD on the spectrum and have other, other um, new, neurodiverse, <clears throat> uh, neurodivergent uh, brains. It's between 30 to 40%. So I kind of did a little calculation to see, well, actually, how many white men <laughs> were straight and able-bodied are there in the country. And in the UK, I calculated it was 22%. And in the US, it's 19%. And this this was like, really, when I started sharing that with some people, it was, it was almost like, whoa. So we're being led in the world, you know, whether it's corporations or various governments, by a very select minority who are making all the decisions that are so-called representing um, humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Or society. And one of the things when I talk about harassment, I often say the workplace is a micro microcosm of um, uh, society. So for example, you know, whatever attitudes, values, beliefs that people have, they bring that into the workplace. Um, and We've got two things going on. I mean, one is that we're looking at it from a from a sense of culture. So one of the a lot what we're talking about in the West, for example, is that um, black people, for example, have to dress and look a certain way. So they end up toning down their heritage. Yeah, um, the, in in Asia, Nima, the very popular pill is the whitening. Oh God! Yeah. Why did he feel a uh, glutathione or something yep. like that? So, so, so even here, that that's happening. Absolutely, and that's colorism. And where's that coming from? It's like, oh, the beauty standard shows that the fairer you are, yes, the more beautiful you are, right? And we're trying to move away from that, um, and um, you know, so that people can f- not just accept 
the color and feel comfortable with the color of their skin, but be valued and recognized for that. And this is where when we come back to power dynamics and we look at who's in power, we look at what we see in the media, right? We look in terms of who are our leaders and um, it's just not representative of society. Yeah, that's uh, you're you're absolutely right um, about that. But um, going going back to getting people to speak up in, in the Philippines, when you talk about whistleblowing, the classic, uh, the really uh, important cases of uh, whistleblowing hasn't been about sexual harassment; it has been about corruption. Yep. And one whistleblower uh, that's now very famous. Uh, brought down a president, and uh, that was a former governor called uh, Chavit um, Singson. Uh, he was a whistleblower, and he uh, told all about uh, the involvement of then President Estrada with uh, gambling, with you know illegal uh, gambling money that um, they were getting a lot of uh, payola. Now. There are political implications here. Uh, we don't really know the full story, but uh, whatever um, the situation was, President Estrada was forced out of the palace. But then Singson was a powerful political people with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. In, in our context, Malaysia, Philippines, Southeast Asia, where you have... Uh, problems with poverty and you still have corruption in government and a lot of people know about it because they can see the audits how do you now um, get people within bureaucracy uh, within corporations to come out and and speak up about the corruption that they see because i i know that you have a lot of experience also in uh encouraging people to do that so again you know um we i've i've had whistleblowers or would be whistleblowers come to me as well and i actually you know sort of refer them on to other sort of like whistleblower experts and it's actually very dangerous um so unless you know so some some places you know it, it it's where you can see the culture believes in integrity they walk the talk it's it's not so difficult and they may have you know anonymous hotlines in place which allow people to report certain things right without their identity being revealed because when it comes to corruption that just takes it to another level oh yeah mm. but even in 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 china now you know that mm. uh, tennis player right who, oh that's um, right sexual harassment yeah. um um i don't know if she's still missing or you know so 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 in the case of corruption, one's life and um, freedom, you know, liberty is at stake. So um, we tend to be really cautious and get people to think about how their lives are going to change the moment they blow the whistle. Even in the West, and I'd say that, I mean, I know whistleblowers who've been jailed in the US. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of them was on on the cover of the New York Times, uh, Terry Albury, um, who um, he whistle blew on racism within the undercover 
uh, agents who were looking at Muslim uh, people ah, in the US okay. in terms of counter-terrorist activities. Mm-hmm. And for doing that, he was uh, jailed um, because he went and, and, and informed the media what was going on. So it, it's um, liberty is is very real. But on top of that, even if you don't lose your freedom, you're very likely to lose your job. You might be blacklisted. So mm-hmm. someone I know very well here in the UK, uh, Martin Woods, um, actually is probably the biggest whistleblower in terms of money laundering, at least until a few years ago, um, where he blew the whistle on Macquarie Bank in the US. Uh, and this was drugs. This is Mexican drugs money coming through into US through to the U.S. banks and into the the U.S. money system. Um, And uh, he lost his job and he was head of compliance in London. He lost his job and he was blacklisted by the Financial Conduct Authority um, and has spent years trying to to track that back. And what happens is some whistleblowers also, not just losing their job, their marriages get affected, their whole lives are turned upside down. So there's a lot to think about. And then there's the mental um, you know, the anxiety that it causes and, and what it does to you as a person. So what we look at, I mean, so my my focus isn't so much the people who speak up, although, I, you know, I, I, I do uh, my 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 branding is speak up, but is rather in the organization, management, compliance, HR, leadership, mm-hmm. the board, right, the board. Mm-hmm. What what are you doing as an organization to, to see identify the risks and be able to allow people to bring issues up early enough so they can be resolved without it, you know, exploding into something mega and big right. and hit the press or you have you have the anti-corruption agency, you know, raiding you and, and, and that sort of thing because you didn't deal with it when somebody tried to, to deal with uh, raise it early on. So um you know, in terms of what you describe in the Philippines, um, two weeks ago, we one of our speakers from South Africa talked about corruption in South mm-hmm. Africa. And it was just horrific. Me, me as a Malaysian listening to her, I thought, oh, my God, Malaysia sounds like a really clean place compared to in what comparison. she <laughs> Yeah. And, and but I, I think one of the things and, and in the UK, we're now having an awakening. Um, I think the public have been less aware of corruption. But now there's a lot of conversation about what's going on in government. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, while I don't think, you know, whistleblowers are going to be harmed in the extent that you're going to see in, for example, other parts of the world. Yeah, like um, Russia. Oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, you know, there's it's a huge, huge risk. So people are going to think of their livelihood first, and I think this is, and and I don't blame them, and I, I wouldn't judge someone for say, staying silent because it's really risky to speak up on something like corruption, yeah, especially if you don't have laws to to protect you the way Even, we have them in the Philippines. That's why, Anim, I keep telling Tina. She really has to go out there and run for parliament. No, 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 no. thank you. <laughs> come up, come up with, the, come on, Dina, lobby for the law to to protect us, to protect you from sexual harassment, from you know uh, defending you if you're going to be a whistleblower about corruption. Come on, Dina. Politics is toxic. I would never advise Dina to go for a run. Oh. It's toxic. And this goes back to what 
I talk about is that how do we transform toxic cultures and toxic leadership to um, to safe and inclusive cultures to um, uh, leaders who who, you know, are not toxic, but are self-aware. Mm. Right. And and empower other people. Because I think a big part of the problem are leaders who just don't want to let go. They want to control. And that's why you see this. And and they're insecure, right? But um, the moment they put themselves aside and they focus on the job, the people, the stakeholders, that kind of drops. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are among the things I talk about, like what, what kind of leadership should you have in order to have a strong speak up culture where people can, they can admit they make mistakes without being, you know, fired. Um, They can, um, and that's the other thing. Did you know that it's harder for leaders to speak up than it is for workers, um, you know, in in more junior positions? It's actually a lot more. Yeah. You got a lot to lose. Ah, that is true. And they could have, you know, done something wrong as they climb. So it's almost like they, they have to, to protect that uh, and stay silent. Um, whereas the, the younger or the more junior employees feel a lot more freedom to speak up. So, so, so this is the thing, um, Anima. I mean, I'm only half kidding when I tell Dina that she should make a run yeah. for, the, for the parliament because nothing is going to change if you don't have at least the law backing you up. Because like um, in the Philippines, even though we have, you know, problems of implementation, at the end of the day, there's the law. And we do have lawyers uh, groups that will give you pro bono uh, support. Uh, Women's organizations, anti-corruption organizations come together and they push the envelope. But if there was no law, Nothing. There's nothing that uh, that you can really do because they're going to say, well, we did break any law. I mean, it's just your opinion. So how now, how do, how do you do that? I mean, we're talking about changing the culture, but if the law does not protect you, how are you going to, to do it? So this is, this is probably going to sound very strange. I'm a lawyer, but I, I tell people don't wait for the law. Um, yeah. Wait for the law. It's never it's never going to happen. And actually, it tends to be culture that pushes law, legal change. Right. Um, and, um, you know, whether it's Malaysia in the UK, there is there aren't laws, by the way, um, uh, against sexual harassment, except when it falls under equality uh, laws. So, you know, uh, men actually are less protected, interestingly enough, um, than, than women in that regard from a legal perspective. Mm. But even then, even though there's, there's equality laws in place, it's very expensive. It's so expensive. So mm. it's like a lot of people can't, cannot um, afford to take that option. So I, I've lost patience. I'm not interested in waiting for government to enact legal changes, wherever, wherever they are. But this is where I firmly believe, actually, the ones who are going to make the change are the public and corporates. And what you see the corporates do, uh, the public doing nowadays, you know, whether we're talking about racism, whether we're talking about gender equity. And in fact, in recent months, I've seen a rising by people with disabilities, right? The disabled are speaking up. And it's Mm. wonderful to hear because um, they're saying, where are we? Why aren't we at the table? You know, this is not accessible for us. 
and, and, and so on. So it's really interesting to see that. And when I said 19% of you know, the UK population are disabled, um, they are more than twice likely to be unemployed than able-bodied people. Right, right. That's really sad. And even if they're employed, they're not in very, they can't climb very far because it's like, so much is 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 ex, is um, excluded. I mean, they are excluded from so many, you know, everyday things that we take for granted. It's so much harder for them. And one of the things I say is actually, it's so here. What you see is it's the groups, it's, whether it's the women are speaking up, it's the it's black people speaking up, it's disabled people speaking up. But each of each of these groups come from a position of lower power in the big scheme of things. And this is why I say allyship is so, so important. So I have been yelling like a broken record in the UK that stop waiting, stop getting the women to do all the heavy lifting when we're talking about sexual harassment or violence against women. You know, women are screaming horse and the men are silent. Where are the men? Right. So mm, this is right where, behind the women. <laughs> I know they'll say, oh, we we'll support you, but they're si- silent. And it's interesting. Um, just a few months ago, because, you know, we've had a we've had several deaths um, of women, young women in the UK. And um, this is, I think, woken men up to the fact that, oh, maybe men are the problem. What do we do? So, so you know, what women have been uh, don't, saying. Don't but, say that in Southeast Asia. Oh, well, you know, maybe follow see what the West is doing. And I'm really grateful. So through, you know, my Speak Up network, um, we've got some incredible male allies and I'll, mm. I'll name them. I mean, we have like Mark Green and Charles Matthews who are with Remaking Manhood out of the U.S. And I've learned so much about them from them, you know, about the male dominance culture and how men themselves need to start changing and giving support for men to change to actually understand things like feelings and emotions. But it all goes back to it stops them being more violent. Yeah, and then, of yeah. course, that includes violence yeah. against women. In the UK, we have um, there's Graham Golden, who used to be with Police Scotland and the police are seen as a big problem as well. Um, And um, they started a campaign which is now sweeping across the UK uh, called don't hashtag don't be that guy. So Uh in other words, it's actually about guys calling out other guys. So call out your mate if he makes a sexist comment, you know, tell him. Right, right, right. So don't wait for women. So it's not for, you know, women have been, we've been speaking, Mm -hmm. yelling till our voices are hoarse. But this Mm. is where we need to, in this case, male allies. And when I talk about Black Lives Matter, it has to be white allies who who really help. And and we're seeing this like England football. Oh my God, right? Um, It was just incredible as we saw the racist abuse held at Black English Mm. England football players mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago and how their teammates like you know the captain Harry Kane their 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 the football manager uh Gareth Southgate really they didn't they didn't just stand behind or say I support you they came up front and I mean the other thing is that the England football team they've been kneeling right all year mm-hmm. and 
at the start of every match. I mean, because England kneeled, so Scotland, who played with them, kneeled. <clears throat> Germany, who played with them, kneeled. And you see, so this is why when I say don't wait for legal reform, the people and allies can really, really make that change. Yeah. So coming back to the workplace, to the corporate, um, it's really, you know, in terms of allies within, within the corporations, especially leadership, who need to start listening and understanding the stories that marginalized employees experience and then um, say, okay, I support you. So if you're facing harassment of sorts, come to me and I'll address it. But first, uh, it takes one person, then two, to come out and, and yeah. speak up, uh, to speak truth to power. You know, when Dina uh, told me about you and um, speak up the organization, uh, immediately, um, uh, 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 I guess it's, it, uh, it was our slogan when we were activists uh, in the University of the Philippines in the 70s. And we'd go out and, and lobby uh, against the fear of martial law being imposed. And I, I, think, I think you and Dina know this. Um, it goes something like this. They came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. They, yeah, they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out for me. And I keep thinking, I, I was thinking about that the whole time and the, the importance of having the one person, the whistleblower to, to start it. And then after that, People then who had the same experience start coming together and bonding together. And then you have um, you have change. You have uh, reform in the society. But, you know, I, I really have to ask Dina, do you think that's going to be possible in Malaysia, Dina? I think, OK, the fact is today I woke up to some good news. There's a political party that's called Muda. Basically, it's a youth-based political party. And, yeah, they are now a recognized political party after a year of, you know, fighting with a registrar of societies. And the kids are, they're young, they're enthusiastic. It's being wow. So I feel that this is fantastic. This actually shows that things are moving. But you know with the work that Iman did. So last week we did, you know, a small, tiny, intimate dinner on preliminary findings on religious mm -hmm. freedom. Uh -huh. And the whole thing is not about pushing for religious freedom. It was just asking. Yeah. You know, just the average Malaysian, what do you think about religion in Malaysia? How you right. practice it? And you know, Amina and Anima, I, okay, me and Ted would be like, okay, we'll help out and look for the people for you, right? And the one who would be interviewing them would be our lead consultant. When you hear about the fear, and you know, it's not just about minority communities in Malaysia, even Muslims in Malaysia. Yes. Like, you know, you're not going to release my name. The fear is there. And yeah. that was one when it talked to the indigenous people. I had to backtrack from that. I wanted to cry. I just thought, Phew. and they said, who can we talk to? Okay, we can talk to you. Are you going to take my story and make me human? Instead mm. of being seen like this, um, are you going to protect us? Mm. So, you know, when you see something good like this, you're going, okay, yeah, Muda's got this. And at the same time, when you do the research and you meet these communities who are saying, we've given up. 
So there's a lot of work, you know. And I'll be honest, uh, I mean, uh, for me, when I look, I've always said Alta is someone who should go charging in politics, right? And she's like, ha, ha, ha. But <laughs> I think for me, I like getting people's stories, you know. It's not easy, I mean. I mean, I'm actually, I don't know with in Anima, right? But now I'm actually thinking, like, okay, next year, one of the things I want to do is to go for art therapy. Because I just realized, you know, we've been internalizing all this for six years. There's a lot of getting <laughs> in the office. But I said, eh, cannot, lah. You know? I think... No time. Almost, you know, we, yes. we all will be contributing to the fight. But in the best way that we can, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, there are good days. Like in any other country, you think, yeah, we're going to win this. And after that, you go, oh. You know, but oh, here, here's, here's a thought, Dina. Yeah. How about you get uh, Anima and myself to yeah. go to Langkawi sometime in the very near future and we can do art therapy because you, me, and Anima, we are all working in a really heavy field. Actually, we have been uh, wanting to do that. And um, we, I actually spoke to someone in the UN. I think I said, look, you've got the money. Why must it be about programs? For, what about people like us, activists, peace builders, you know, and we actually do storytelling, art therapy, so that we become a bit more human. Our mental well-being is better so that we can do the work. But I think <laughs> it probably thought it is a very strange idea. But we'll have to lobby for that. And hopefully, I know in England, they can come back to Malaysia. They've just got about a few days to quarantine. Uh-huh. And you can ask to be able to quarantine at home. But it's the Philippines. You still haven't, you're still not able to come. Well, we, we've opened up uh, for, for people to, to come in. And I think the number of days in quarantine is lessened, but it depends on, on Omicron and okay. uh, how, bad, how bad it okay. can get. It's getting pretty bad here, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, so, we've heard and you've got um, parties in 10 Downing Street. That doesn't, <laughs> that, that doesn't help at all. Well, that was a whistleblower. Uh, a good example yeah and and see what that did right exactly Um, uh, those things have to have to come out so this this um yeah yeah. but i agree with you uh dina you know in terms of um people like us doing this work we need we need downtime we need um we need uh, well-being breaks. I, I just said to a, a group of my my Speak Up champions last week, shall we just do a Zoom Christmas party where we all just raise our drinks and we don't talk work because everyone's so exhausted. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, what I think that's one episode that uh, we really need to do, Dina. How do we distress? Yes. And we'll we'll get our guests to come together with us and talk about their distressing uh, techniques. Okay. We'll do that, yeah. <laughs> My dear sisters, I'm sorry, but we're, we've gone over an hour, as usual. <laughs> it never feels that we've gone over an hour, but we have. So, uh, I hate to call this party to a close, but, you know, Anima, we're actually, I mean, Amina and there are other, you know, uh, sister peace builders who are working on proposals right now. So there's a few things flying on WhatsApp uh, to talk about strategic planning. Um, I think, Anima, if you feel that, okay, Speak Up could be part of the Southeast Asian Women Peace Builders, it'll be great. 
Um, and then maybe we can just take it from there. Yeah, um, talking to funders, hopefully good things will happen. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because I think Southeast Asia needs a lot of help, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I feel that there's a lot of, not lack, but maybe we're just too busy. We don't have that kind of, you know, time to be exposed to, you know, mental well-being, negotiating, whistleblowing diversity to the WEP so that's something we should do yeah definitely yeah, we need awesome. anima to come to Malaysia yeah. and the Philippines yes <laughs> and, and and start talking about how to change the culture and supporting yes. people who do speak yeah. up yeah absolutely would All love right. to would love to yes. soon okay alright I see Val there so I guess it's Time's up. <laughs> All right. So any words of, uh, any message of encouragement, Anima, to, the, to uh, the people listening? A lot of them are young. I, oh, you know, I, uh, I think I'm sounding like uh, Whitney Houston. I believe <laughs> the children are future. I mean, really, I, I have so much hope for the future because actually it's in the hands of young people and 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 this is where I f- and I f- I feel like I feel next year will be much better than the last two years right now for reasons but I but I think also it's like the last two years have given us this sense of pause and reflection because so so much has changed right so it's almost like we are looking at ourselves and and I'm talking about even you know Corporate people in leadership position who I talk to, there's been a lot of inner reflection. Mm-hmm. Can we do things differently? Um, what's not been working? And they're questioning the, 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 you know, what used to be, okay, goals, targets, KPIs, right. more profits, more, you know, everyone's sort of questioning that bigger, faster isn't necessarily better. And what yeah. really comes first is well-being and people. Um, and it's so assuring to see that. And now what they're asking, and this is why I'm now getting approached quite a bit, is help in addressing that. And I think this is a fantastic time for everyone to really take the opportunity, you know, wherever you're working, um, to sort of say, hey, we're now at a crossroads. We can now, why don't we do things differently? And be open to listening, really, especially those in leadership positions, and listen to young people. Yes, absolutely. And you're right. The children are our future. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so thanks so much, Anima, for um, for yeah. joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you about such a horrible topic, sexual harassment and, and yeah. other ills of the workplace. But it I has been, has been it. really great. Yeah. I have to say this, Amina, I, I told Dina the other day, you know, Spotify, they have your top, you know, what you've listened to in the past year. So my top podcast that came out in Spotify Unwrapped last week was 
She talks peace. Oh, thank you. Yes. So, so you're that person in the United Kingdom that shown us listening to us all the time. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Every Sunday lunch when I'm cooking, I'm listening to you. <laughs> so. so, thank you so much, oh, and um, it's this has been a a pleasure talking to you. We really do hope that you come yeah. to the Philippines and, and uh, give a, a talk. Um, maybe we can ask the Asian Development Bank or the World Bank if uh, they could host something like that. But um, in the meantime, I hope you stay well, keep safe, don't yes. go to 10 Downing Street and party. And this is Amina Rasul from Manila right. saying thanks for listening to She Talks Peace and see you again soon. Dina? Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. This podcast episode is based on or is inspired by true events. Unless otherwise indicated, all the names, characters, businesses, places, events, and incidents in this podcast are either the product of the podcast creator's imagination or used in a fictitious manner. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, or actual events is purely coincidental.